Hello fellow beings, welcome to Tapasya Loading, a safe space to attempt honest, raw and authentic conversation in homage to the ancient act of stoking a sacred fire. Hiya, and welcome back to another episode. We've been a little slow with our episodes here, do accept my apologies, I try and keep a rhythm of an episode every two weeks, but it's a crazy world we're living in, needless to say, and um, my attempts at maintaining my sanity do have their ups and downs. I would like to take this opportunity to bring your attention to my latest venture holisticpianoacademy.com which is still in its beta launch form do take a minute to come around and have a look at uh, how things are going there for those of you who've been uh, following my musical journey you might remember Vasita as one of my collaborators a few years back even though our collaboration was fleeting at the time it was a very important encounter for me musically it was more my early adventures in my ancestral country and uh, Vasudha went out of her way to make it an extremely memorable experience. Just to give you a little context, this conversation was recorded before the second wave hit India. There has been a slight latency between the recording sessions and the release dates. That being said, I do believe the quality of this conversation does speak for itself. So without much further ado, Vasudha. FYI, yeah, we're rolling. Welcome Vasudha, thanks for doing this. My absolute pleasure, TL. How have you been? Wow, how have I been? That is, that's, that would have been such a simple answer, you know, one year back. Um, and you can probably imagine, but all things considered, I think I'd say I've been well. Thank you. How about yourself? Well, uh, absolutely no complaints, uh, to be honest. I think I've figured out different ways, new ways to keep myself engaged and uh, inspired uh, in music so no complaints that sounds pretty brilliant could we can i just dive in and ask you what these new ways are um well uh, I, i've been uh, making a lot more i would say since last year and i've been even more consistent with my uh, uh, original releases and apart from the you know the fun live looping cover stuff that i keep doing or the acapellas but um, particularly the originals I've seen, uh, probably uh, because I had a lot of time <laughs> on my hand as the rest of us. Mm -hmm. But um, apart from that, I think I also dived into uh, um, jingles, the ad world. And uh, it's slow and steady, but I kind of got into a lot of music production as well. And I think this is the time where I kind of in really enjoy the studio space. Uh, and not that I uh, not miss the live gigs or not that I not miss, you know, getting on stage and interacting with a live audience, but I'm kind of really enjoying this whole uh, behind the scenes studio space, the composition and the music production aspect of things and, um, you know, on and off uh, virtual gigs kind of happen and I, I'm still... Uh, trying to get used to uh, virtual gigs because it feels like you know, you're all alone, especially the live looping gigs. You're all alone in your uh, room, and uh, sometimes I lose track, and I feel like it's 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 you know a personal jam that I'm doing, and then I re you know realize suddenly that okay, there's a camera and I'm on Zoom and there are people watching. But um, 
I, it's just about kind of getting, uh, you know, a hang of uh, things. And I'm enjoying this space of composition, uh, music composition and production uh, much more than I've ever, you know, enjoyed before. Wow. That actually really sounds really very f- refreshing and inspiring. But you've, uh, since I can remember, you've always been the very, um, as as cliched as it sounds, I wish I could f- uh, find a better word, but the, one of those creative types, I mean, that word's really overused, but you've always had a way of kind of, um, how do I say this? You, you're not just a regular singer-songwriter. You've always had an experimental techie side to you, your approach to music, right? Uh, yes, I think uh, I, I love to uh, experiment and I love to uh, blend uh, different styles and uh, something that comes to me naturally uh, when it comes to like Indian folk music or, you know, music that I've, uh, you know, I'm brought up listening to or learning, which is folk songs and uh, bridge folk songs. And uh, that's something that's always been a part of me and with the whole uh uh, exposure to Western music and all the more, all you know, many more experiences or interactions with fellow musicians. I I feel like I like to kind of blend all these uh, styles together without really creating a lot of confusion for myself as well as the audience. So I kind of try um, as well as the listeners, and I that's what I try to kind of do things where I'm also uh, happy with what I'm doing because otherwise I'll just be running after the trends, mm-hmm. so to say. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I don't know if, if that's actually in, I mean, the music trends or the kind of stuff that's coming out now and everyone's like joining that, uh, you know, uh, uh, basically joining that trail and bandwagon and they're doing the same things. And I, I kind of, uh, I don't deliberately not do that. It's just, I kind of try and follow, um, um, you know the the way I would like to go because at the end of the day uh, I should be happy with my music as well so um, and I said as well because I'm making it for listeners as well it's not just for me otherwise I would have been just you know in my room and creating music all day and been you know I, I would have lived my life like that but I also put it out so it's a form mm. of ex- an expression for me so I try and keep both things uh in mind when I'm creating, mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to my satisfaction, my own satisfaction as a musician, and uh, something that I know that maybe not, uh, you know, not uh, uh, the popular uh, stuff, maybe not extremely popular, or it's not going to be massy, but uh, I would know that, okay, there's certain people who would really like or appreciate that or would want to follow that kind of music. So, uh, I think I have uh, that audience uh, of mine, which which is I'm I'm very grateful for, you know. So um, I think, yeah. It's um, I love how you put that. It's I mean, it's always that fine line, right, between connection. I mean, in regards to your audience and authentic expression, and I've always been very much in admiration of how you struck that balance. Yeah, I mean, I I am complete awe with uh, your music also because uh, the kind of stuff you're extremely, uh, you know, uh, you're focused as a musician and you try, and I absolutely appreciate that you're extremely innovative, experimental with your music, and it's it's your expression which is which is unique and which makes you 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 know as a musician. So I really appreciate that, and 
these are these are the times when you know fellow musicians or when you watch someone else do something and then uh, it kind of you know inspires you even more and gives you that um, reassurance that okay you got to do what you keep you, you what you got to do in life it's is to follow um, your uh, you know your the, the the way you want to approach music is something that is very um, individual i mean it's it's very subjective uh, to me you know so and that's the way i should approach it and i i think that's what i try and uh, remember every time i mean i make music indeed thank you for those kind words i appreciate that but seriously though this is about you and then with your permission i'd like to dive into this a little i've always struggled with the connection part uh, i'm i'm just being transparent because i've never been very good at striking a balance between really you know making music that i hear in my head and figuring out a way to take it to my audiences like that second part i'm shit at that i just have no clue how that works uh i've collaborated with people in the pro- like in the what's the right word in the music business industry when we've tried to figure out ways to do it but it yeah it's just not my strongest point which is why you're one of the artists who are um, on my radar who have always really been very uh, like i said in admiration of um but before we get into that though i mean this is like that that topic you know that balance between artistry and connection that's probably an age old um, dilemma or at least challenge anyway um before we i'm happy to continue with that but i want to take this opportunity to rewind a little uh to where it all started with your musical journey because it's a really really unique and fascinating story you have well uh, music uh, has been a part of a major part of uh, my life since uh childhood i would say that uh, most of my summer vacations uh, would go uh, visiting my aunt uh, my dad's uh, elder sister mm-hmm. uh, Ms. Chitra Rao in Mathura and uh, she uh, has been an all india uh, radio singer and she uh, a classical singer and she used to play the flute as well so wow. and she was and she she has been um, i mean she i think she knows uh, i don't even know i i have lost count of the number of uh, uh, folk songs and krishna bhajans that she knows and uh, she's been teaching me since i was 3 years old yeah oh man and she's been teaching me all those folk songs and just you know putting them in my head and making me sing over and over again so i have all those bhajans or krishna uh, rasiyas and everything by heart even today so if i don't have to look at a, a notebook and and they would be like a, a quite i think i would have there would be over 100 of those bhajans that i would uh, have learned by heart Mm-hmm. and there are a few more which i just have in my notebook and it's a uh, it's it's crazy because i think this kind of treasure was something that um i never thought i would uh, you know otherwise have if i was doing just regular school because with in school as well i mean i i used to sing uh, all these rasiyas and songs and a lot of you know how schools are especially in in um, indian schools there are a lot of patriotic songs and there you know folk or regional songs from rajasthan and haryana and that's because i was i was uh, born in a very small uh, city in haryana so uh, it's called bhimani couple of things number one may i request you to explain to our audiences what a rasiya is 
So, uh, Russia is uh, actually uh, mostly uh, songs about uh, praises of Lord Krishna. Mm -hmm. And uh, it talks about his, uh, um, you know, mischievous uh, ways or when he was a child and how he used to, uh, you know, bother or the gopis or, or the, you know, the, or Radha for that matter, Krishna Radha, and that's the connection. So, you know, um, uh, so think, stories about him as a child, showed stories about him grown up and how he used to help the whole uh, village, the villagers and protect them from danger. And uh, he used to steal, uh, you know, homemade butter. And, you know, all these stories have been uh, woven nicely into uh, beautiful uh, rasyas and that's that's actually a storytelling sort of a thing in uh, um, in Uttar Pradesh uh, area beautiful which is a state yes and and uh, these are the songs which are almost I mean you can say these are folk songs as well so it's very you know it's it's been handed over from generation to generation these are very old uh, bhajans or rasyas and and I feel like that's the treasure that I've, uh, uh, you know, I've got from uh, my aunt. And uh, I've, to be to be honest, uh, Hindi cinema or not cinema, but like Hindi uh, music or music from Bollywood and old classics like songs from, by Lata Ji and Asha Bhosle Ji were not even... Um, a part of my growing up, to be very honest. Uh, I had not heard those songs and I heard them much later in my life. So when was the first time you heard a Bollywood song? So uh, I think Bollywood songs, the contemporary ones I would hear because we used to watch television, we used to watch uh, films, but all these old classics that, you know, some uh, some people who learn music from childhood, they actually grew up uh, learning Lataji's uh, you know, songs or Asha Ji's songs and they have, you know, memorized them by heart. But for me, it was only the Braj uh, folk songs and Rasyas that I, you know, wow. and th these were the ones. So I, I feel like personally, I never really uh, developed a style which was uh, imitating a certain singer. You know, so I, I never, I never really, so the more, the in the kind of artists that you listen to, you kind of start sounding like them in a lot of ways, sure. the way you would modulate your voice. And, they, and I think that never happened uh, in my life in the formative years. And these are the years when you, when you actually uh, create, uh, you know, the foundation of how you're going to uh, render a song or how you're going to project your voice and, uh, in which you know so I, I think especially at that time it was just like it was a blank slate and there was no absolutely no influence of course I mean I would have influence of my aunt the way she would project and the way she would sing but uh, I, I was not really uh, imitating mm. a certain uh, singer or a vocalist so to say you were interacting yeah and I, I felt like that's one of the reasons that I feel like I wouldn't really sound like a certain uh, singer. I, I don't know if I can, I can. Uh, Absolutely. No, I get it. There was a phase in between, uh, especially during, uh, you know, when I uh, passed out from school and I went to college, I was exposed to. So the Western side of music was 
only like you know pop music for me because that was the music being played on television and my access to that form of music was very very limited but only only during college days was i exposed to you know the actual uh, songwriting so to say to understand that okay there is something called songwriting you know mm. so before that i would just be i, I my interest in uh, chords and harmonies and everything kind of Mm-hmm. you know went to the next level because of seniors around and so till then it was just you know whatever i'd heard the backstreet boys and the spice girls were you know in in my uh, the whole uh, my whole world was surrounded by the popular music that i was hearing uh, mm-hmm. around and i think um, the first time i was uh, introduced to alanis morissette oh yeah and her songwriting and especially her album jagged little pill yeah. was given to me by uh, one of my seniors and uh, you know one of the ways of ragging me uh, being like the fresher or junior was to memorize all the songs of that album wow and uh, and learn like a few chords on the guitar which was obviously a great help because i would just strum to uh, save myself you know while singing and that that was it i didn't look beyond that 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 was the only thing that i had to perform that and uh, i uh, for the first time i actually went for intercollege competitions in my first year and uh-huh. sang uh, a uh, one hand in my pocket by alanis morissette and i won the first prize and before that i had not even attempted any english song in my life so wow. everything was kind of you know coming uh, um, to me and i was absorbing everything and for a very long time i uh, absolutely loved her songwriting and i was just blown away with you know the the way i i never imagined that songs could be made in this way as well because you know whatever you're exposed to and you know, something new comes along your way and you're just like blown away with what's happening and i think for a very long time i you know i was as whenever i was singing alanis's songs i was sounding like her that's when i understood that okay the more uh, of an artist you listen to the more you kind of you know your the kind of songwriting or the kind of uh, the way you would uh, project or render your uh, vocals would be along the same lines and that was a phase that happened of course um i'm curious yes. when you yes. said you uh, do you find out for the first time that music or a song could also be written that way forgive me if i'm misquoting you, you but something on those lines may i ask you uh, exactly what it is about that song sounded completely or her approach to music sounded completely new to you which part of her music was the part you'd never actually knew existed um see the 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 kind of lyrics that i'd heard before Mm-hmm. um with uh, you know the the popular music and you know the, you know you uh, you have my heart and you have it all and <laughs> i have done this and i've done and it's it's all beautiful and it's all nice and hunky dory and everything um the way you would approach love or a heartbreak and the the way of um writing uh those this the way to approach uh a certain emotion mm. if if you have heard alanis's songs uh, you know the to name a few for example ironic yeah the the way the song is woven together it's actually there, there are songs beyond what we already know which is love friendship heartbreak 
or or life in a certain way that we we talk about it but the whole uh, song like ironic for example it's 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 a storytelling said in such a beautiful way i mean uh, i i love the topic and i love uh, how it's you know so traffic jam when you're already late a no smoking sign on your cigarette break it's not like oh you have my heart and i'm going to do so it's you know <laughs> for for me as as a as a listener this was a completely different topic and and the way it was being approached was uh, it blew me away so you know so that's that's why i say uh, that's why i say that for me it blew me away completely because i was not exposed if i was from the beginning i had heard that sort of you know songwriting or i was into actually you know all sorts of uh, musical i was exposed to that it would have been maybe i had started writing my own songs way earlier than i actually started which was uh, obviously after college hmm. uh, but uh, it's i think it's just a learning curve where you're exposed to something completely new which is new to you maybe you know for another person it's like oh yeah it's a beautifully written song and that's it like we've heard millions of songs like these but for me as a person who was coming from that sort of background this was something completely new and very interesting to dive into Beautiful. so uh, i loved that way of uh, you know that approach to songwriting so the the raw vulnerability of it all as opposed to the more uh, mainstream especially at the time um the mainstream you know i love you and let's whatever is that what i'm picking up please feel free to correct me Oh yes, ex- exactly. So uh, that's what I said the, the popular, the mainstream mm-hmm. that I had heard always and this was like something completely different from what I'd heard before. So Beautiful. So I was just very much intrigued and I dived straight into it. Beautiful. FYI, that's one of my favorite like literally one of my top 50 albums too of all time. Especially because if it's production is I I feel like I I think it's really interesting because um, you always had a producer's headspace. and i feel like that might have uh, had at least in the beginning um some subconscious influence did you know that's like a producer's um what's the right word i'm looking for you know that album was just produced by her and one guy on a on a dat tape jack little bill yeah so oh, it's it, it's also wow. kind of uh, kind of part of music production history because this was still a time when the major labels were controlling everything you know with million dollar budgets oh, wow. and a lot of gatekeeping happening and the alanis morissette and her producer unfortunately more on that i am i forgotten his name but this guy he's he's a he's he's a star really the two of them were made history because it was the first one of the very first completely diy productions just the two of them in a room which went like big time platinum or something oh wow yeah literally on a i think they used a dat or a track uh, i remember reading about this somewhere it's it's um, i'll try and find the article if i can that album it's deep on multiple levels the songwriting is impeccable and uh, i think <clears throat> it's not my place to talk about this to be honest but i think she's also figure especially for those times for uh, i sound like a total moron when i say this but for women's empowerment oh yeah absolutely because the mainstream female artists for lack of a better term at that time weren't singing about the things she addressed uh, in the manner she went about it yeah it was quite radical for those times i know right 
yeah, uh, that album is is deep. It's um, there's a lot more to it than meets the eye, than just uh, a couple of hit songs, you know. Okay, I went off uh, on one of my tangents there. Mm. <laughs> Uh, I tend to do this on the podcast. My apologies. I get a little excited when I find out. Uh, Which yeah. is great because it's the conversation. <laughs> thank it's you. Great. Thank you. I'm glad you feel that way. I, I, I owe you an apology. I was under the impression you grew up or were born in Vrindavan. I obviously mistook that. Oh, well, uh, I wasn't born there. Uh, yeah, but most of my time was spent in uh, Mathura with, you know, under the guidance of my aunt. So, yeah, I was practically there. My geography is crap. Is there a link? Is Mathura and Vrindavan close to each other? Yeah, I think some about 40 minutes okay. from each other. Wow. I mean, it's, it's in Uttar Pradesh. Both both are in the same state. So nearby. You're obviously also, and, and I usually don't say it like this, but you obviously have also a very deep spiritual connection in the manner in which you create music. So would you say the way you grew up singing devotional songs is a reason for that? Or was it just completely parallel movement? Uh, see, I, I think one of the reasons why I have uh, this approach to music is also because of the um, the bhajans and rasyas that, that have been, you know, instilled in me since childhood. I think it's, um, it's a part of like like how we how we uh, kind of pick up things and that kind of forms our personality overall mm-hmm. in the growing up uh, you know phase and i think this was uh, one of the biggest influences which shaped uh, who i am today mm-hmm. and uh, and it this being like music being a very essential aspect of it um, i wouldn't say that i'm uh, extremely religious like even if I'm singing songs about Lord Krishna, I'm not a person who would actually go to mandir every day mm-hmm. or uh, go to, you know, go for mandir darshan or sit in the mandir for artis. And, uh, but I'm spiritual and I feel like wherever I'm, I could still say a prayer and I could still, uh, you know, pay reverence and I could still bow down to the Almighty. And I, I, I completely... Uh, I'm spiritual in that sense. So I feel like uh, the, the the bhajans and the, the music that I've uh, been uh, brought up listening to or learning has only helped uh, in, uh, you know, uh, directing that uh, uh, my music in, in the way it's going. So I, I feel as a person or with the kind of things that uh, I value in life uh, is also... On the same lines. So, I mean, in, in, in terms of my models or things or principles or things that I go by and the things that I um, you know, strongly feel for and uh, the whole uh, idea of going ahead in uh, life and the, the karma, you know, so to say, or whatever mm-hmm. it is. And I'm, I'm very uh, spiritually, uh, uh, you know, the orientation is extremely spiritual that way. I feel like that's why the music is also... Um, you know, kind of in uh, going in that direction mm. because I would I would do like an electro pop song. I could do uh, a fusion, whatever folk fusion song with my band. I could do a very singer songwriter sort of uh, stuff with just the ukulele and do some uh, you know quirky stuff. Otherwise, but I would also do um, I would also produce 
like a on a mahashivratri i would actually produce like a nice uh, shiv stuti or during janmashtami i would actually also produce a nice uh, bhajan and sing it and actually put it out because it's it's a part of me beautiful so that's something that i would never stop doing it's going to be it's going to stay there so i'm assuming music is also inherently a spiritual practice for you on some level no music is therapy absolutely i mean uh, when i create music i mean I completely forget about where it's going to go when it's going to be out how well it's going to do how not well it's going to do I don't care about that the process of music making is extremely therapeutic to me mm-hmm. and uh, the, the when I come up with you know certain lyrics and I uh, create the soundscape for a certain song or the vibe that I'm trying to create that process that whole uh, uh, journey is something that's extremely satisfying and uh, it's as i said again it it just calms my senses down and i feel like even if i'm if i'm worked up during certain days and it could be music or the music business side of things that could work you up i go to music mm. and i create more and it's it's not like i'll get away from music and i'll do something completely different i just dive deeper into it so wow. i think that's 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 something that kind of brings peace to me um in a very big way and i just can't think of anything else when was the first time you realized that this was a therapeutic practice for you um <clears throat> i think uh, even even without knowing i was singing uh, all the bhajans that i used to sing with my aunt and um even in social gatherings and we would have like in schools and you know in school and colleges i would have these sort of uh, uh, functions where these songs would be relevant and i would actually sing those and uh, with even without realizing i f- i feel like they were always uh, helping me uh, keeping that you know the sanity in me i would say overall and it's mm-hmm. it somewhere it it uh over a period of time later when i was uh, like after uh, asma happened which was a pop band and everything and then things uh, kind of you know took a completely different turn for me i shifted to mumbai and mm. that whole glamour world kind of took over for a while and i i you know th- there were a lot of realizations it was a peak uh, time when it comes to in terms of popularity and things that are uh, being done for you and you know the more popular you are it's more pressure and so many mm-hmm. things around happening and that was a that was a phase when you know a- anything that goes to the top kind of comes down as well and especially uh, that time when uh, asma was extremely popular i'm talking about 2002 uh, 2003 onwards till about 2006 Mm-hmm. because that's the time where our two of our albums were released and we were doing lots of gigs and lots and lots of gigs and over a period of time i mean that whole um phase of uh, remixes taking over and pop music like the indie pop dying down yeah. and uh, remixes taking over and the old bollywood songs were getting remixed and a lot of dj's were coming over and there were music videos made on that and then the planet ends you know where our cds and cassettes would be there were all shutting down the music was going digital and there's a lot of piracy so we have seen all that phase from the wow. top of our pop pop music career yeah. uh, going 
completely down to uh, you know maybe just about having enough live gigs to earn decent amount of money yes for sure uh, but playing maybe from the whole uh, set list we would play a bunch of our originals but the rest would only be bollywood so when we started doing those gigs because after a point after two albums when the pop music was not really happening for some reason i mean it was the decision taken at that time and uh, we decided not to go ahead with more originals when it comes to asma as a band mm-hmm. and um, we started looking for alternative uh, you know ways of or maybe following our own separate individual paths and i think that's where uh, the whole uh, uh music industry uh, was completely turned around and the uh, remixes took over and we saw saw ourselves uh, doing a lot of live gigs earning a lot of money but absolutely no satisfaction as an original artist or someone who wants to create original music and that was the time when i uh, kind of uh, needed uh music to uh, help me cope with things cope up with things which were definitely not conducive around and they were not absolutely positive i mean there was money but you know as an artist it's not really only about money of course you need money to survive in a place like mumbai you need to pay your bills blah 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 etc whatever you need to buy gadgets and everything but mm-hmm. other than that i felt there was absolutely no satisfaction as a musician as a composer as an artist and uh, that's when uh music kind of helped me because uh i was looking at uh, more innovative ways to help me uh, to help myself grow as a musician as opposed to just uh, someone who earns more and more money doing uh, the same gigs over and over again and i think that was the phase where around around 2009 or 10 i used to watch a lot of uh, plays and i used to keep making uh, you know composing these songs writing songs without having any knowledge of where they they're going to go because i was i wasn't even a part of the independent music scene here mm. in mumbai mm-hmm. so uh, even though that's how we actually met that's yeah we did our first uh, singer songwriter gig right that together was the, the blue frog uh, the blue frog times yeah i miss those times but uh, yeah. yeah but uh, don't let me digress yeah but that was my first ever gig as uh, an indie artist to and be that was my first gig ever in india as, as a solo artist it was uh, wow. it was a very special wow. evening for me yeah same same exactly so no so that was the that was the phase uh, where I, i felt like when i was creating music um in spite of the the you know the environment around me which was not very conducive to the uh, peace making inside was uh, it was composing it was music creating more music that was actual an actual therapy for me and um, i think i was i was able to keep uh, you know a sane head a sane mind and i would be uh, still be of course i mean every musician goes through ups and downs but it would be music that would bring me back and uh, um and then things fell into my lap out of nowhere i got opportunities to uh, compose music for a bollywood film which was called sharukh bola khoobsurat hai tu in 2010 mm-hmm. and uh, from then on uh, there was just you know activity happening in my mind and 
uh, I mean, therefore, all around me because, you know, I was actively thinking of ideas, how to kind of do more stuff with my music. And uh, that's that's when I kind of, you know, got hold of um, the loop station because I saw some random video on YouTube and I was like, what is this gadget? I need to learn this. And I ordered it out of nowhere. I said I need this. And I think around that time, at least in India, no one uh, was any like sort of aware of it and no one was really doing it. I'm sure people were aware of, artists were aware of it, but no one was really doing it here in India. Well, not at your level anyway, because I remember you being really badass at it. I Well, the, the thing is that I, uh, especially when I started uh, doing it, I, I was actually, I actually got the loop station and I practiced I, you know, thoroughly like got my whole arrangements on it using my vocals and a couple of percussions and the guitar and everything. And then I uh, just made a small home video of it and I sent it to the programmers at Blue Frog. And I was like, I knew that I'm known as this pop band uh, asthma girl Mm -hmm. and it's been a while, but I do have my originals and these are the, this is the way I want to present them. And this is what, this is live looping, blah, 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 and everything. And that's how I got my first ever gig as a singer-songwriter, where I was actually playing like a bunch of covers, but also a lot of originals. And I, I and and then from then on, things were just, you know, slowly and steadily falling into place. And then, um, you know, after one or two years, Berkeley happened. And then there was yeah. crowdfunded album I got back. And, you know, so so everything was kind of, you know, I was realizing everything and this was only, uh, I would say that as much as music business side of things would give you, um, you know, would, would bring you down, the music would be the actual therapy, which will bring me back up and, you know, and how, I mean, I, I was just, I wanted to make it happen. So I think that was a very uh, interesting uh, phase in my life because uh, music really helped me come out of it in a big way totally with you on that here's a question how do you look back upon that phase of your life being a pop star how does it feel now um well i'm i'm extremely grateful and i'll always be forever uh, for that opportunity for that or you know that turn that you know that happened in my uh, life because um it's uh it's actually uh gotten me here today and if, if 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 it wasn't for pop stars, if I had not gone randomly for those auditions in New Delhi, just to, you know, just to get my 15 seconds of fame, just to be seen on television, because a bunch of my friends from college, they're like, oh, we want to see you, we want to see you play guitar on TV, just go, go, go. And it was just like when, when you say it's destiny, mm-hmm. and I truly believe in that, because this was not even a part of the plan. The part of the plan was that I would be an IS officer and I'd been civil services. No and I way. Was college first year doing, yeah, I was doing sociology honors and uh, my mother uh, was a principal. So she always made sure that studies would come first in my life and the, the music would always, music, singing, dancing, games, sports, whatever would always be an extracurricular activity. Whoa, I had no idea about this angle. Yeah. And I mean, since then it was always a part of uh, you know, things that I would do, uh, but it would never be the main thing. And uh, just how how it happened, I have no idea. Because one thing led to the other. I got selected in the auditions. I was called uh, to uh, Mumbai for the intensive auditions. And 
it was um i i still can't believe that i uh, made it to the final eight and then the final four and um how uh, palash sain from euphoria he was one of the judges and how he came to my place and um you know off camera of course they announced that i was one of the pop stars on camera and off camera he really convinced her that you know he convinced my mother who was extremely apprehensive that i would never complete my studies because i was in college first year mm-hmm. and um, so he said that if this is an opportunity for her in life it's actually come to her so if this has come to her at this stage in her life maybe there is a reason for that let her explore that reason apart from that if you're worried that she not you know not be able to complete her studies blah 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 and it's it can only be a backup option i mean she not have any backup option if she doesn't study and the music doesn't happen for her so she was always very scared about you know letting go of letting me go to mumbai for that matter because i was just 18 then and uh, it was a completely different world and where was your family based at the time uh, delhi delhi right delhi. Okay. yeah thought as much and you know and a, a very typical middle class families would always be very uh, very of the glamour world the mm. beat the music world and and especially mumbai and so there were a lot of things that were going on you know in their heads and oh yeah sure i mean 18 year old beautiful daughter moving to mumbai as a debut pop star I, i'd be scared shit too <laughs> but uh, i'm thankful to her and i'll always be because she uh, uh she took a promise uh, from me she said that uh, you would do this whole pop star thing and the whole you know whatever experience you're going through <laughs> i like the way you said that yeah because these are these were her exact words and it's like do your thing do all this experience and everything and then um but make sure that you're not um, you don't <clears throat> stop your studies so if you can handle your college while doing you know while going through this experience of pop stars and going through whatever gigs and album and blah 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 whatever makeovers apart from that you have to study so if it's exam time you've got to make sure so i you know i was getting to go to mumbai so i said yes to everything and um i did say yes but the actual struggle was the time when i was had when i had to you know manage both things there were times when we had a gig in the evening and i had an exam in the afternoon and uh, i went gave my exam and uh, went straight without any sound check went on stage and performed with my band so i've wow. had times like these but when i look back now as like it was all worth it because i kind of you know found that whole balance of I know it was really uh, overwhelming at that time and I would actually cry sometimes that why did I do this like why did I say yes to doing both 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 these things together but um, I'm glad I did it and uh, I you know I finished my graduation and after that my mother saw me doing more things in music and on and off she would always say are MBA why don't you think of MBA sometimes maybe a fallback option if this you know and i told her that i would rather study music and i i think when i took that decision of going to berkeley uh, by the time my parents were very you know like they it 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 had sunk in and they they had understood that okay this is what she's made for and i i we don't think that she's going to do anything else so they you know wholly supported me with my decision and i'm more than happy now i mean it's just the beginning stages because they are friends even i understand that yeah and uh, 
So take yeah. us to take us to Berkeley now, because that's quite an episode as well. I mean, at this point, there are a lot of a lot of people who do the whole music college route, but you crowdfunded your college education. It's like that's you, and you're probably the only person I know who did that. Oh, uh, well, uh, I'll just clarify this. So when I went to college, mm-hmm. I was on scholarship, mm-hmm. and um, uh, the like the other expenses of because I didn't decide to stay on campus and I had my separate place. and I was much older than the rest of the teens studying there, of course, because I took that decision very late in my life. Berkeley. But, um, I thought so, it was a very mixed, yeah, mixed bag, where, like age-wise too. It is, it is. But I think on campus, they're all like 16, Yeah, okay, the uh, dorms. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine, yeah. 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 So I decided that I'd uh, stay on my own and... Um, no college parties for you? Um, yeah, at my place, we'd have, okay. like, I'll call people and cook Indian food for them. So it was good fun. Okay. Um, but uh, I, I think um, Berkeley was particularly, uh, it feels like a dream, honestly, even today, that I, I don't even uh, think that I actually went there. It feels like a beautiful dream that just happened in my life. And I'm just... Uh, amazed that I know so many brilliant uh, musicians and you know professors there and that I'm in touch with and it's 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 amazing I mean I can't describe that feeling uh, but uh, Berkeley uh, in spite of the scholarship obviously it's an expensive course even staying in Boston and um, I had enough money uh, because of the regular gigs that I was doing as a professional here as a professional artist but I was turning into a student without any income and that too from India which is rupee currency to dollars in Boston right. so I knew that you know the the money is going to be you know after a point I, I really have to be a student and think of like things and maybe take up small jobs while I'm studying there on campus and so I did all of that work when I was coming back I um I booked, uh, I had already, you know, met a lot of musicians and I'd written a lot of uh, songs and arranged them. And I had uh, a sort of a band um, in in Boston. Like we, we never played commercial gigs, but we were playing a lot of gigs together. Mm-hmm. And um, that was the time when I decided that, okay, I'm going to book a studio for 12 hours. And this huge rec- recording uh, company is called The Studio in Boston. And I had all these musicians down and we just played, uh, you know, a bunch of my songs uh, in one go, recorded everyone uh, live together. And uh, I just wanted to have a souvenir for myself before heading back to India. And uh, it was a very, I never thought about where it's going to go, what am I going to do with these songs, but I just wanted something as a memory to cherish, you know, when I uh, go back and I wanted to keep this. And when I got back here, um, someone just mentioned about, you know, this new platform, uh, especially for for India, it was new. It mm-hmm. was a new uh, crowdfunding website called Wishberry. And uh, the concept of crowdfunding was extremely new to India at that time. And I got back uh, and I had these five songs with me and I had uh, three, uh, four or five more songs that I wanted to, um, you know, work on and I wanted to produce with live musicians. And uh, that's when the idea popped up in my head. They're like, why don't I just come up, you know, just try and do an album with this. And 
So that was the time where I thought, okay, maybe crowdfunding would be a good idea because my bank account is definitely not helping at this point of time because I've just come back from uh, Boston and I have absolutely had no income. So I had nothing to lose. So uh, this uh, crowdfunding was to fund my album, uh, Attune Spirits, that I released ah, in 2013. My bad. The yes. whole time I was under the impression you crowdfunded your college education. Um, my apologies. No, 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 my no, no. bad. So, yeah, so so uh, so that was the you know that was the amount was also quite um, a lot because I I wanted to pay all the thirty musicians who played on it. So mm-hmm. I uh, you know and the mixing engineers, mastering mastering engineers, everyone who kind of you know worked together, and I also wanted to make a bunch of videos and package it nicely and everything. So I had a lot of these ambitious ideas and for uh, you know so I, I started the crowdfunding uh, campaign and I, I feel like I've never been so socially active ever in my life those two months were the really? highest in terms of you know the, the kind of you know I would actually spam of course my own wall every uh, single day like at least two, two three times talking about the album talking wow. about the campaign talking about you know uh, crowdfunding asking people to and <laughs> excuse me and I was quite amazed that uh, in the within that two months, I actually uh, managed to uh, exceed the target amount that was initially decided, and I was Beautiful. overwhelmed. I mean, I could I could not believe that I would um, get the money uh, from, especially uh, from India. The concept being so new for people, you know, mm-hmm. but. Um, I was, it was, it was honestly a dream come true, to be very honest. I never imagined that I'd be able to finish that album. And I released it independently without any label uh, through OK Listen. Uh, They just put the album digitally across on all platforms. That first song is Jagi Jagi, the right name? Yes, Jagi Jagi Rena. Oh, Jagi Jagi Rena. That song popped up on my uh, phone out of the blue. It's like some divine digital intervention or something but a couple of days but i have i i, I exaggerate not that song out of the blue just started playing on my phone in the car it's like i'm not sure what happened that's I was like, crazy that is crazy and I, that, which is when i uh, texted you that message on instagram this just popped up and wow and i just i was reminded of what a beautiful songwriter that song is so gorgeous i'm so glad Thank you. That melody, is it based, uh, my, I'm going to sound like a complete idiot uh, now again, but is it like based on a raga or something? Because it did, you know, it has very... So okay, this, this is, uh, I mean, it's not entirely, like it's not a pure raga based composition, but mm-hmm. it's based on rag jog, rag mm-hmm. jog. And um, I, I think when I was just walking uh, back from college, I was just humming a tune and I put some words because I was practicing certain ragas even while I was in Berkeley and that was just my own uh, practice with whatever I'd learned. So I was practicing this raga and suddenly, you know, a melody uh, popped in in my head and I started uh, putting words into it and, you know, a, a tune came in and by, by the time I reached home, I actually uh, put down all the words and I, you know, took out my uh, laptop and I just quickly recorded that melody. That's and uh, Those are the best songs. The, 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 yeah, so so I mean that's how it started, and uh, I recorded that the first I mean in in uh, Boston with all the musicians, and that was actually one of the videos that I 
showed everyone during my crowdfunding campaign to for them to get an idea of the kind of music that I want to create. So um, uh, that was a good uh, preview of what was going to come next in the album. Beautiful. How did Berkeley feel when you first landed there? I remember having a little chat about this uh, the last time we'd met in Mumbai. But um, you want to share some insight with regards to your experiences? So I, uh, <clears throat> I was never... I never learned uh, Western music, especially notations and, you know, reading uh, music. And I was like, even th- when the audition was happening, I was extremely honest. And I was like, this is something that I don't know, but whatever I know, I can do that. And I, I felt like um, it's, you you might feel extremely intimidated because uh, for most of the uh, students who are coming from maybe Europe or uh, Americans also there and everything, you know, they have had music even in Western music, even in the elementary levels during their school and sight reading and, uh, you know, uh, just playing an instrument, uh, obviously being it being their principal instrument, but uh, sight reading particularly was like a second language for them. Yeah. And... Uh, <clears throat> Yeah, this is actually a very controversial issue. It's been talked about a lot, especially in recent times. Uh, the the somewhat, yeah, uh, lopsided manner in which music education has been approached, especially Berkeley um, in the recent past. It's like the skills of a musician aren't really measured from an objective point of view. It starts off with reading, which is a little unfair, to be honest. But I'm sorry, I interrupted you, but I had to pitch in. Yeah, I know. So exactly my point. Um, when uh, when I auditioned, uh, the only thing that I was really uh, scared about was not being able to, you know, do sight reading. Even if I did a little bit of homework, but it, you know, it doesn't come quickly yeah. uh, because I've never had that uh, training. Exactly. Uh, you know, exactly. Early on. So, but having said that, when when I knew my limitations and what what they would see i think the 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 people the professors the teachers who were auditioning what they were seeing that uh, or or some of them i mean I, one of the professors i don't remember his name but uh, who was auditioning us he when i said that okay this is something that i, I haven't had training in and i'm i don't know how to you know sight read and everything he said we want to see uh, so you're going to school to learn Right. Mm. So if if you are at that stage where you're willing to learn and you have the aptitude for it, then you will learn. So if you don't know today, tomorrow you will. So it, it and and obviously when you're in uh, school, there are students on different levels. Some have done uh, their sight reading so much before, and they've actually done uh, music theory uh, ear training, and then they just keep skipping uh, ear, you know the levels of ear training or music theory and go to the next uh, level or they can skip two three levels in one go and test out of it and everything so that depends on the aptitude and whatever you have done so far so i uh, especially because of you know no knowledge of sight reading had uh, had to start from uh, uh, level 1 of uh, music theory because it's a completely different, I mean, Sare Gama is Doremifa. So for right. me, it's a little, you know, it's a different syllable altogether. Exactly. So how do I, uh, so it, it took a while, but the, the professors and the, you know, the professors were so helpful because once they understand that this is uh, something that you, you would definitely struggle with. So in a class of say 20 uh, students, when you're learning something, 
you know that you're going to take a little more time or maybe a lot more time than the rest because your processing power is slower than them because they have been doing this for a long time i was extremely good with your training i can imagine quicker than any one of them in the class so of course i can imagine yeah but the music theory part of it to put you know to get the notes in place and to get all that you know it was a task for me in the beginning but i think uh, 3 to 4 months down i was feeling a little more confident because i used to take even extra classes from professors and they were extremely helpful they would actually help me and i took up a sight reading uh, class mm-hmm. which was oh which was a nightmare <laughs> but uh, hard relate honest I mean, you know exactly. It was absolute nightmare. Yeah, I know exactly because I'm dyslexic. I had very similar issues, but I'm I'm coming to that in a second. Keep going, please. Don't let me interrupt you. Yeah, but especially when you're cornered, especially if you're mm. singled out and you have to do something. Oh God, yeah. Some of the professors wouldn't really know your background or wouldn't really know where you're coming from. Blah blah blah, whatever. Right. And it's when you're put at a spot. I feel like that's the time where you kind of. feel the need to rise from the ashes and do something worthwhile and work harder mm-hmm. and you know so those really hard testing times were there but i i feel like it was all worth it because after a point of getting comfortable with my surroundings and the students and you know the professors and everything i more than getting intimidated i got inspired uh, by people around me and i i think it was the biggest thing that was like the step that i needed to take and which uh, i'm glad that it happened in berkeley and uh, and that's when i made a lot of friends that is so awesome and i i think if you are just off guard and you you know tell your vulnerabilities and your limitations and everything and you're out in the open and say that this is I, this is something i don't know so i want to know i want to learn so when you get into that zone rather than you know saving yourself out or showing that okay you know everything but you're going to be all you know under from from the inside it's like you you just want to pretend that you would know everything mm. i was just an open book i said this is something that i don't know but i want to know and i want to learn maybe i'll be slow so i would get extra time in my music theory classes when there was an exam because my professor would know but he would know that i would get an a but i will take time to process that you know so it it was quite an experience and i had some wonderful uh, professors and fellow uh, you know uh, students who would really help me out with things so yeah i mean berkeley is a beautiful positive extremely sweet bubble it's not the actual world but it actually prepares you in a lot of ways you know yeah so i was extremely uh, fortunate to have that experience that's beautiful i find your approach to the entire situation very very inspiring I think a lot of us uh, could learn a lot from that. My experiences uh, were very similar. I went to Berkeley's partner college for my first degree. It was like basically German Berkeley. Course doesn't really exist anymore. Uh unfortunately I I didn't handle the situation half as well as you did. I felt cornered and I don't react well to being cornered and I completely lost it. Um it's funny because I work in the system now uh, 20 years later. I'm uh, I'm educator in that system myself. Oh wow. Yeah, it's it's a very interesting thing to observe how the uh, to to figure out that I'm actually not the only one who felt that way. The institutionalized methods of traditional western education are under some hard 
examination currently because there are some major fundamental flaws. The way sight reading is taken for granted, for example, is one of them. Right. Sight reading is not a musical skill. It's a specialized skill. Especially in this day and age, there yeah. uh, one of the biggest changes being digital forms of communication. Sight reading was basically the oldest uh, form of recording, which is why, you know, publishing, publishing houses back in the day used to do what labels used to do years back right so it was the earliest forms of recordings it was the only way you could communicate with co-musicians in today's day and age it's, it's apart from some very specific genres of music nobody writes out sheets anymore you know you just send a recording you just record a demo or something and send it off in five minutes it's quicker to do but it's a very valuable skill it's a beautiful skill and i think i practice sight reading as therapy really but it's not essential and it's a hard fact it's not an essential skill anymore it's a specialized skill unfortunately right. institutionalized forms of education still are hung up on a system that's just not relevant to the realities of living as an artist anymore apart from the more progressive ones so uh yeah i've, I've had my nightmares i just about passed my sight reading exam also and uh, my int most interesting experience was I was really strong in most of even music theory, but I had like a separate module of, for sight reading since my major was piano and I'd keep flunking that. <laughs> my teachers just wouldn't understand what the hell was going on. And it, it's only much, much later that we figured out that I was dyslexic. I had a very special form of dyslexia. Um, so I, I mix up uh, shapes and sizes. Um, anyway, that's a whole different podcast altogether really but uh hard relate and it's just so inspiring to hear how you turned mm -hmm. that entire situation around and came out a complete winner yes but i'm even uh, even today i'm still extremely slow in sight reading when was the last time you actually needed sight reading for uh making a living i did not that's what i'm saying and now with <laughs> the work that i'm doing now unless and until i have like an orchestra in mind or a string exactly. orchestra to play one of my songs, I would never think about. But even that, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, you do you know the band Noor? Mm -hmm. Noor? I mean, they're like super progressive stuff and they work with orchestras, um, horns and everything. The shit, I can't believe I can't remember his name. I have a blackout now. The drummer composer of Noor, he can't read. And he's writing out charts for orchestras wow. and bands. Yeah, it's it's that obsolete and scale, actually. All he does, he just plays what he hears in his head on a MIDI keyboard and prints it out. I mean, why why would you not do that if you can? No? I mean, he's right. badass right. enough without his sight reading skills. Anyway, I'm just thinking out loud here. I, for the record, I love sight reading as a practice in itself. But the way it's almost used as some kind of a passport uh, to be a musician by institutions. It's just, yeah, it's, there's something off with it. IMHO. Ah, I went off on the rant there, didn't I? <laughs> it's good. It's good. I like it. Yeah. Okay. Apologies anyway. Um, take us through what happened afterwards. So Berkeley, that phase was over. You're back in Mumbai. How did life treat you right after? Um, I think people around were thinking that uh, I'm uh, going to be someone who's going to charge like a bomb for gigs. So I, for a while, you know, out of sight is out of mind. So for a while, uh, I wasn't really getting the regular gigs that I used to do mm -hmm. uh, because people thought she's not going to be, you know, in the budget or all that, uh, all really? that stuff. And I, uh, yeah, I, I think Berkeley has this sort of, you know, uh, an image for in front of people that, okay, this is, um, you know, she's got, done this uh, 
study from this amazing school and she's going to increase her uh, performance fee and blah, blah, blah and all those things. So I think uh, that kind of took a while for me to uh, make people uh, realize and I when uh, when Team Spirits happened and the release of the album happened, I um, you know I uh, enjoyed uh, playing some uh, amazing music festivals with my band. We played the NH7 and then we played um, Lost Party, Naril Pani, a couple of uh, very popular Indian music festivals, and uh, that's when you know things started happening and we started doing uh, gigs in different cities also all over you know we had a an, uh, an album launch tour happening in different uh, parts of the country so and then things started you know when when the album because after I got back from Berkeley for a year I was still uh, working on the rest of the songs and then I did the crowdfunding and uh, so for that time period I wasn't really doing any uh, gigs because I was just you know how how you are still like, coming out from a bubble and you still have a sort of a bubble around you oh, yeah. and you don't know how to connect to uh, uh, people uh, who are probably extremely different from what you were exposed to a while back. Yeah, intimately familiar. Mindset, yeah, so, sort of changes as well. So it took me a while to kind of get used to the way things happen. I'm sure you get it all the time when you you know when you visit India after very long from Germany I mean the, the things are so different people work differently the vibe is extremely different mm. and I I was in that zone for a while until I came back to my senses and I said that I'm back in India and I'm back to this old uh, life of mine but how am I doing things differently because uh, things around me are the same but what am I doing now that's gonna you know make me feel good about what I'm doing so beautiful that was the decision that I took that okay I just you know uh, go for uh, music festivals where I play my original songs and work on work on more original songs and for a while I stopped doing uh, corporate gigs actually even today I feel like I'm not really uh, into uh, a lot of like you know how, how there is a certain uh, parallel Bollywood uh, covers, sort of a gig scene yeah, uh, yeah. that happens, uh, you know, the wedding scene or the private or corporate gigs or the, you know, some, oh, yeah. some sort of engagements or someone's birthday parties. And these are very well paid gigs. Mm-hmm. And uh, for some reason, after I got back from Berkeley, I was just not in that same headspace of, uh, you know, getting back to those. And uh, even today, when I take up uh, gigs, I try and make sure that I at least play like 40% originals and then do maybe some English covers and stuff. But I I get a chance or an opportunity to play my originals because otherwise, who's going to promote them? I mean, as a band or as an artist, you're the one who's going to promote your own music, right? And you can't expect anyone to even cover that ever later in life if today you don't make it popular and I feel like when I'm doing live gigs with my band and that's one of the ways to play it live to them because we don't have a solid uh, label backing or a movie uh, promotions helping a certain yeah. song of ours yeah. 
mm-hmm. uh, getting uh, you know deep into the masses or getting that sort of marketing and sponsorship. That's not happening. There's no way that's happening because I'm not going to sign up with any label. I'm not going to give away my rights or my copyrights of songs that I write and I produce and I uh, compose myself. And I'm not going to give that away, even if it's like ten people listening to my music. But I know that music belongs to me. So I uh, I've always uh, felt that. I would stick to that plan of creating my own music and owning my own music. Beautiful. That's that's why uh, you know one of the biggest reasons that I don't I'm not signed up with any label or I'm not um, really doing stuff uh, with a lot of uh, labels or companies and stuff. It's one of the biggest uh, reasons, you know. And I also keep my creative freedom to myself. And I feel like when uh, when you are tied up with somebody i don't want to name labels but i mean i'm sure you know how it is when you work with labels and uh, a lot of your creative freedom is curbed and you would be required to do things that you would not necessarily like doing mm. and i i know that i can bend a little but i don't you want to uh, you know i can bend a little in terms of just understanding the a need or a certain you know uh, the kind of song that i would create and how to kind of make it more palatable for people and as per you know my sensibilities i would say i could bend a little and i would uh, let go of you know a, a lot of my rigidity as a musician but i was to completely put myself into the ground and do something because of some sort of pressure i don't think i will succumb to that at least it's not at this point in my life because uh, i don't really need it i i don't really need music is an expression for me now it's not really about how many uh, you know views on youtube have i got is it viral yet are there 22 million uh, views already in the next two days i don't go by that and i that's something how many followers do i have on instagram do i have a million that's not good enough i don't go by that and that's something that uh, that you always keep that will always make me keep doing the stuff that i do when i i be my own boss unless someone is hiring me even though just fyi for my audience is you one of india's first really major youtube um got, for lack of a better term uh, independent stars right first generation uh asma or in- no no you as a solo artist as well um yeah i was i mean uh, as a youtuber yes of course uh, but i honestly during even uh, as an artist uh, as a youtuber i didn't really um follow the trends you know what happens with like even if you were doing a cover as a youtuber mm-hmm. they um, are expected Uh, obviously they signed up with a lot of um, these uh, other online mnc sure, and all, all these sure. uh, you know yeah. uh, companies but um, i i also had uh, qq digital with me for a while when i was doing a lot of these big loop mashes and cover songs and i also in, in even in that process i had a lot of uh, creative uh, differences with what song should be covered and i would always cover a song that i would like not something that is um trending at the moment so mm-hmm. if a song releases today there would be a cover version out of it tomorrow exactly so i would never be able to live like that because i have to like something and if i like something i like it enough to cover it 
and with the way I want to cover. So it could be an acapella version, it could be a live looping. It has to be, like in my head, it has to be something uh, where I'm adding value to something, you know, and it has to be an expression uh, from my end. So it it was never about really following the trend. It was an expression. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know that about you. But for our audiences, what would you say, I mean, what's the secret to nurturing an audience the way you have without compromising on your artistic values? You know, TL, to be very honest, um, even even today, if I put out some video on uh, YouTube and I'll see comments which are very positive, I'll see comments which are negative, I'll see dislikes and everything. And after a point, to be very honest, uh, you've got to realize that you've got to keep expressing yourself. And if, if I was to <clears throat> really make music for people's liking, I would I would want the people to like me for my music. I would not want to create something which people would like. You know, so where is my individuality as a musician or whatever I'm creating? So anything that we create, there would be 100 people liking it. There would be 500 people disliking it. Totally. Anything that you create tomorrow, which could be something that you feel is your biggest piece of work, would be shunned down completely by uh, maybe some people who admired you for something you did before. Absolutely. So uh, it's it's something that we have to be prepared for. As an artist, of course, you feel let down and you feel misunderstood and you feel that, you know, people are not understanding your creative flows and the way, the zone you are in and everything, but that's fine. And I feel like if we feel today that we haven't uh, been able to strike a chord with the audience, perhaps we've not met the right ones, which are right for your music. Who would dig your kind of music? And it not necessarily it has to appeal to the masses. So not everything that I do, uh, you know, 100,000 people would love it to the core and would say, oh, Vasta, you have done a brilliant job. I don't expect that. Mm-hmm. But I want to be true to what I do. So tomorrow if I do something which maybe four people uh, like and the rest of them say that, okay, this is something that, you know, we didn't expect you to do it, but... You know, this is what it is. and But this is what it is. That's the zone I'm in. So I just feel like it's just a matter of uh, self-expression. And if it's received in a positive way, it's great. Sometimes we will face uh, some sort of, you know, reservations by uh, people, uh, which is also fine because it matters, but it's not the end of the world, right? These things keep happening. But striking a chord as far as I can... Uh, say I, I'm not really um, I'm not really trying too hard to figure out what is people's palate. Mm-hmm. I'm just making my own recipe and hoping that they would like what I present to them. That's it. How do you strike that balance between the artist and the entrepreneur? Because you do have a strong entrepreneurial side to you as well. Correct me if I'm wrong. Oh no, I no? don't. I okay. don't. Okay. I, no, no. I just assumed. Because uh, I just assumed, you know why I assumed? Because you, uh, the times I've worked with you, the way you, you're just so professional and efficient in the way you kind of deliver the stuff, you know. I remember doing our collaboration, you were you were blitz fast with the tracks and, uh, you know, it was so easy to communicate with you with in regards to a lot of tiny nitty gritties, like things like, I don't know, like, okay, do we want to keep EQ on on the tracks or compression or maybe you can remove them, blah, blah, blah. 
things which are not necessarily always easy to communicate with uh, a lot of artists who, mm, uh, to be fair, might be brilliant artists, but not necessarily as uh, efficient with nitty-gritties like those. So that's actually the reason I kind of assumed you're probably really clear on your entrepreneurial games as well. I, I feel as a as a professional when I'm dealing with fellow musicians or the kind of output that I need when I'm dealing with uh, producers or music engineers or, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, mixing and mastering engineers mm-hmm. and I have a certain uh, vision for a song and I, I like to communicate that clearly and I like to keep things very transparent. Mm-hmm. So if I'm hiring a musician or if I'm taking services from somebody, I make it absolutely clear whether it's a collaboration, it is it a paid collaboration, because I always like to add value uh, to anyone's hard work. So if I'm having a, you know, a session musician play for me, even if I can't afford to pay him a shitloads of, like, sorry, sorry for my language, but a lot of oh, You're money, saying sorry but, to me? Uh, <laughs> you're what? apologizing for, to the wrong what? person for that. <laughs> I'm a, this is like my best behavior. For, okay. <laughs> and I'm so, still screwing up. <laughs> So I, I like to uh, be extremely professional and uh, keep things very clear. So, and I, I think uh, that's where, you know, being true to your work comes in. But when it comes to being an entrepreneur, when you say, I, I see, I saw it more, in, uh, you know, on the lines of being like a music business person and how to kind of market and promote your music well and how to kind of, you know, put it out there, mm. present it in the best way possible, the whole packaging side of things. I'm extremely poor at that. But when it comes to dealing with uh, the output that I want to put out, I mean, the output that I want to put out, what did I just say? But the music that I want to put out, and I am extremely particular of how I want the song to be, how I want, uh, what things to be, and like I, I feel, I feel like as a as a producer or as a fellow collaborator, I would add, I would want to add value to a product, you know, that we are together working for or whatever my vision is and stuff. So I feel, um, in terms of that, I'm extremely um, clear cut and very transparent, and I uh, like to keep, you know, the business side of things, the monies and everything, very clear, and I pay all my dues and I keep it clear. You know, because for me, I, I just need to be absolutely burdenless when it comes to dealing with uh, musicians or anyone who I'm interacting with. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to music business and marketing, I am still, I'm still not there. It's something that I'm still trying to figure out. Is it something you'd like to figure out? Um. Yeah, but I think that there there are going to be a lot of clashes with you know, the the ideals or the, the things that I follow when it comes to the way I would want to do things in life. Um, because ambitious, being ambitious is one thing um, and having a vision and kind of going for it uh, either with the, the, the paths that you want to choose or by hook or by crook are the two ways or the means of, you know, uh, to the end that you want in your life. So I, I feel like um, if I would want to be uh, an absolutely, you know, cutthroat business person, I might have to compromise on certain things that really mean a lot to me. So mm-hmm. uh, if there are a lot of contradictions, I'm, I don't know. I mean, it's been uh, how many years now? 2003 was when I started. So, 2021 that many years 
of uh, being in the music business and I still haven't learned it. So I think it's not going to happen anytime soon, for sure. I don't see any reason why it couldn't happen if you wanted to. Yeah, well, just FYI, I'm in the process of figuring it all out myself too. I'm hardly an expert, even though technically I have a degree in music business, which didn't help me with shit. But anyway, wow. uh, technically, yeah, I mean, that was my second degree. It was a mix of music production and uh, music business. But it was one, it was a very different time. And a lot of the stuff we learned at uni, it doesn't even work anymore. That's the thing about the music business. It's it's also changing so quickly. I think the major changes I've been going through recently is to just redefine the word entrepreneurship in a different way. Because we've been, I think, uh, at least I have, uh, been brought up in a, an environment where businessmen are inherently kind of looked upon as a slimy bunch. If you'll excuse the exaggeration in which I, with which I describe that. And I, I'm trying to reprogram that and redefine that. I think mm, there's a certain kind of embarrassment I felt in trying to figure out how to sell a product that even now I struggled by with saying that sentence, which I think I shouldn't feel anymore. Or the, the actual act of trying to um, putting something of value out in the market to people who might actually find or add value to their lives by uh, buying it. I'm trying to reprogram myself to think of that as something that might be in alignment with my goals as an artist as well. I'm still on the fence, just so you know. I haven't come to a conclusion. But it's something I'm deeply examining because primarily because I've realized that the other option is someone else do the same job. And... That actually leaves you in a much more vulnerable position than I had realized for a long, for the longest time. If that makes any sense. The whole um, preconceived notion of you know doing music business is always uh, thought of. I mean, we think of it in a very uh, you know being a shrewd or in a in a cunning uh, manner. How do right. you make things? Very or, or sleazy. Or sleazy. Or yeah, you know. So worse. I. Uh, I, I would actually take my words back because you could actually form your own way of marketing your music in the most uh, authentic or holistic or whatever is the nice and positive words that we can put in here as adjectives. But um, I still haven't figured that out, especially uh, being, uh, I think, anywhere in the world, but being in India when... Uh, when you know the kind of mass music that really works uh, and the, the music that gets really popular and tops the charts is something that um, is not as per my palate. Mm. You're being very kind. You know, I mean, I'm being very... Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, you know exactly what I mean. And, and I'm afraid I do, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you crack the approach of uh, music business or doing a, you know, how, how to uh, get your music out there uh, with the right means and not, so so I, it, just to give you an example um, so there are, uh, TikTok was big in India until right. it was banned, the app was banned right. by, um, you know, the government TikTok was so big that there were, and I wasn't even aware, to be very honest, of the TikTok stars, so mm -hmm. there are a bunch of these uh, TikTok stars who would have these fun, funny or fun videos or whatever you can call them on TikTok. And they had huge fan following. 
so much so that uh, they took over the music videos side of like the music business so what happened was if uh, you wanted your video to be viral your music video to be viral you could have these tiktok stars like one tiktok guy star and one girl and make them have them in your video have them feature in, in your video show show like a love angle or whatever it is i mean whatever the storyline is for them and and that video would instantly gain like a whole lot of traction wow the song doesn't need to be a wow song but because these guys have that crazy fan following everyone would go and watch that so there was a trend in the in the music scene the indie independent whatever music scene that happened that everyone was getting these tiktok stars even today even now uh these tiktok stars have like their fans have followed them on some other you know similar platforms or apps or whatever that have started yeah. now uh, locally so they're still doing these music videos and the other day someone was just like one of the you know well wisher friends uh, who follow um, who are just listeners you know they have nothing to, they don't understand the um, music musician music artist all they listen to is like music and watch videos and they were giving me uh, this beautiful helpful tip from their end that why don't you get in touch with these tiktok stars and have them in your videos and we want your music to go viral and blah 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 and, and for, it's so difficult for me to um counter that because that's the truth you know yeah. what do i make them understand what do i say to them what do i uh, and like does do i am i even making that sort of music that that would have that sort of a love angle and have these tiktok stars feature in that and and the motive behind it is so that the video gets more traction so it nothing to do with the song the song is whatever it is we don't care about it but the music video so you know so the the kind of mindset that is there how do you how do you strike how do you figure out how do you crack um this sort of market with the music that you want to make and you want to keep making so uh and and the and the kind of ideas of music videos and the the whole sanctity of things like if i have a song about life and i you know i have a certainly completely different uh, video idea for that i mean tiktok stars don't fit in that whatsoever mm-hmm. but i would still be required to because because you know so that's the way it works so these are some of the things that um i laugh at now and i still keep doing what i want to do but if we were to say that i was an entrepreneur i don't really think in that sense because i'm not able to crack that i'm not able to crack what's the way to still put your music out there uh in the best possible way and i mean without really following the whole uh, you know getting into that bandwagon of the way things you know people are doing things yeah. so it's yeah it's a little complicated no totally hear you i mean i'm on a very similar bandwagon myself not bandwagon but i mean it's, it's very easy for me to relate to that dilemma and i think it's it's the kind of dilemma that's been around pretty much from the very beginning whenever the beginning was i mean beginning is an abstract word to use in this context Uh, but let's put it this way i can't think of a time uh, when this dilemma was not a thing for every artist even generations before us you know you know uh, selling out has always been the biggest fear for an artist yeah but 
wasn't there a phase i mean i can't really exactly recall but wasn't there a phase when a band could just be featured like they could be yeah, in the video just yeah. doing the performance and yes. playing their music yep. and people would actually listen to the lyrics listen to their arrangement listen to what they're doing without having a storyline i mean yeah I, it's it's so, very interesting you say that yeah. i've actually talked about this with a few of my other guests too who have roots in india uh and i think we uh, and i include you in this uh, were lucky enough to see witness some of this happening especially in india there is there is a phase which nitin sani for example i keep quoting him called the renaissance of indian independent music and there was a time i remember it was very brief it like it was like it was gone before you realized where you could actually like some really interesting artists being authentic in the things they do were actually in the mainstream right and then before you knew it it was over yeah. and uh, it it was over at, and i remember even uh, being you know, i remember talking to a few journalists at the time to about i remember talking about how it's imperative that we really kind of focus on sustainability of this system because this was a really new system like that independent music in india it was really new it was so fresh and it was starting from scratch in a manner which had already been done in the west 20 years earlier right and i was seeing it happen again i was like wow here's an opportunity to do it right you know not fuck up where the west did <laughs> but i guess maybe some things are meant to end the way they do maybe it's like an inherent circle of the way things work and from a certain manner um or maybe uh, don't we don't we just don't we just sound like frustrated musicians both of us con the conversations that we are having right don't uh, we just sound like that <laughs> do us um <laughs> do i because the way I'm you definitely don't you definitely thing. know i i can assure you you definitely really? don't sound like a frustrated musician or no i think you you, you sound like an artist who's no, bold the enough to no the way our conversations no but the way our conversations are going i felt like all we have to talk about is what's wrong with this entire system <laughs> you know so it's i know i'm just like i i would love to be uh, you know grateful about so many things but i just feel like these things just kind of surface every now and then and when you get to talk you know i don't get to speak about uh, these topics on a, on a you know on a regular day with everyone i mean i just i i don't lash out i think it's just I don't think you're lashing out at all. I think you're just being open and honest about your views on the way things are. Right, I guess. And you're definitely not complaining about things. You just you're just observing the way things are. I think there's a fine line between observation and judgment. Judgment is when you when you label someone with positive or negative connotations for being the way they are. Observation is when you just, you know, share your observations on the way things are. I think there's a difference between the two. I am HO. I don't hear you complaining at all. I just hear you share your observations. All right. Cool. You're probably Good. one of the most positive people I've had the honor of interacting with, especially in the arts music industry. And I'm not the only person that says that about you. I, I'll tell you that as well. So I rest my case. Okay. Good to know. Thank you. No, thank you. <sighs> I, on the other hand, am not be, or I have been known as the grumpy dude. So uh feel free to stop me in my tracks anytime it gets too <laughs> whiny for you. I do refer uh, to the that that phase where I saw something happening especially here when I saw an opportunity and I do feel a little sad um not sad 
but yeah, it is the way it is. And it's just, um, I had this, I had this dream in a way that India could make an exception to the rule. Because I'd seen this happening for a while now. I'd, I'd seen it happening in the US and the UK. But, you know, when new scenes happen, you, you see these movements happening, like the grunge movement. It starts off as something from which has its sources and something really legit and really authentic for at the risk of overusing a word and then it just explodes into a mainstream and completely strays from what it had started off as so i had really high hopes for india for being an exception to that pattern and it's a very universal pattern it was like that entire scenario of indian independent music where musicians were finally starting to write their own songs on their own terms, put it out on their own terms and not being associated with labels or the Bollywood industry or, or whatever. It was a first timer in the history of this country. Right. And I had, I had very high hopes that it would be a game changer uh, in a manner that had never happened anywhere else in the world before. But it was a very high hope and it didn't manifest the way uh, a lot of us did. So it is the way it is, you know. We didn't manage to be that exception I had hoped we would. <laughs> And if that sounds like a complaint, my sincere apologies. No, you, we all feel a sort of a wave sometimes that it's, it's going to turn around yeah. uh, things, you know. And, and I, I think it uh, a sort of uh, it happens over a period of time, and you see the symptoms, so to say, early on. You see that things are going in that direction, and then it just indeed over maybe over the next ten years we might feel something. I, I don't know. Just yeah, yeah. Just a, you know, it's a cycle. It'll probably maybe it'll be back, but yeah. it, but there's never a second right. time for a move for that specific movement to start. That was definitely the first generation of mm. Indian independent music, and there, there, anything else afterwards from here on, henceforth will always be a revival of the same. Right. For my part, I think I feel very privileged to have had my little share of being part of that, even though it was fleeting. Um, at a certain phase of my career in the early 2000s, I was touring more often in India than I was in Europe. I feel very privileged and very blessed to have had that opportunity. And very, I'm very grateful for it too. I'm just a little bummed it's over. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. I mean, the whole band culture or, or the live uh, gigs, you know, yeah. going out and watching live gigs was something that, uh, especially when even I started uh, doing a bunch of, uh, you know, the regular, even the club gigs or traveling for exactly. festivals and everything. Exactly. That was at the peak, you know. So, and, and, and there were people coming out and actually paying for a gig. Like, exactly. they actually go buy a ticket yeah. and uh, get into, you know, a smaller, you know, a, I mean, not a huge concert also, but like a smaller club, like a, like a blues rock for that matter, you know. Exactly. So, there were gigs like these happening regularly and there were, sponsorships for touring and for musicians to travel and decent budgets you know i mean if we would do four or five cities uh, in one going would actually end up earning decent amount of money uh in spite of being an independent musician where you get to play your originals i think still uh you know the scene was uh quite bright and we all felt that it's only going to grow and bigger and you know more uh, um more uh, MNCs or more sponsorships are going to come in. Um, and there were, you know, a lot of high hopes. Exactly. I, I really don't, I really don't know what happened because I felt like the business model somewhere um, of all these clubs and the way they were 
programming live gigs and the like for example blue frog was inviting a lot of international acts and they were having hosting a lot of um you know live bands from uh, abroad and uh, even the local ones they had pretty decent budgets for the full bands and stuff yeah. um we don't know how the business model was because yeah. i think uh, mostly musicians themselves were running the place mm. when musicians run a place and it's not really a business uh, person and uh, it's a different uh, sort of vibe because uh, they were yeah, I, i mean that's what i figured from the inside uh, you know uh, people who were working to be fair and i, I, I don't want to divulge information without having the actual liberty Just FYI, Blue Frog, for example, was not run by a musician alone. They had a team and a, uh, like uh, the founder was obviously Dhruv Ghanagar. Partners, yes, they were partners. Yeah, they were partners, but yes. it wasn't run only by yes. a musician, to be fair. And I have had some infos on how the business plan and why it didn't work out the way that it was hoped for. But I'm probably, it's probably not very, uh, I should probably not go on the record with regards to this. One, because I'm hardly an expert to comment on something like that. And secondly, it was... told to me in confidence i think i'm not sure if i was it was probably a private conversation i'm guessing because it was you know backstage and all that no of course i mean even even if i'm not going to disclose that as well uh, but um, no of course i'm sure you will yeah so the, the thing is that i i i felt of course there were partners and uh, there were you know people from advertising and it like uh, you know a lot of other corporate uh, sector also exactly. but what what i'm saying is that it was it felt more like a like an absolute uh, passion project yeah very and i mean blue and frog uh, you remember when when it was open it was referred to as one of the top 10 global venues in the world by guardian in the world top yeah, 10 yeah and it was and yes, it was it yeah was. it was yes, it was yes. one of a kind i mean yeah. that entire building that entire room was designed for the best consumption of music right um i think to be fair one of the major reasons it things went down the date is it's it's not just india it's just the entire overhaul in the way live music is even defined anymore today we're living in a world where you could just go on stage with a laptop and you would be called a live performer that would so not go down 20 years back i mean i would remember being reprimanded like i almost got disqualified from my uh, graduation recital because i had a laptop on stage and my teachers couldn't make out okay uh, how much of this is actually being played <laughs> yeah now we're in a stage where um, i um, i mean i use laptops on stage too but i actually happen to and again i know the code names i know people who go on stage with a laptop <laughs> press the play button and that's all they do and they go home with with a pretty tidy paycheck yeah. or used to anyway so that i know that kind of i mean justifies uh, the weekends you know were always packed in blue frog because there were dj nights so right. and the rest of the uh, days at blue frog where there be live bands and stuff you you'd hardly have people in the evening and it was only the weekends with it'd be fully packed so after a point i mean you're programming live bands with there's no one coming to see so there's no income so after a point you kind of realize that it was the later half of the, the latter half of blue frog was also there were more electronic gigs programmed there were more those sort of uh, gigs uh, which were happening more in the lesser uh, live bands and so they they kind of i feel like uh, they also try to save that whole situation but it's people yeah they don't have the taste for a live band yes taste is always an issue definitely so 
after a few i mean they they would be okay with you know a singer songwriter maybe on the side somewhere on a bar stool singing a couple of songs while they're having their food but blue frog was a place where uh, a proper band would perform even if you you know it's fine dining they're having food and everything but you'll actually have people right there below uh, the stage which was like sort of a mosh pit for everyone to enjoy themselves and right. cheer up the band so mm-hmm. this was a completely different space you know it, it's not a regular sort of a space where someone is in the corner and singing and you're just going about doing your thing it was a proper respect given to the artist and it was a completely different feel altogether so i think it was very difficult for uh, them to survive after a point that's why a lot of blue frogs you know shut down even in delhi and then there, there were others and and that that followed i mean a lot of other uh, live uh, venues pandemic has taken over completely i mean most of the live venues in mumbai have been shut down even hard rock cafe which is not even yeah i mean that's a whole different you know hard rock cafe at least used to host a lot of live bands even though it's it was never acoustically integrated mm. it had glasses everywhere but still at least they used to host and all the hard rock cafes in mumbai shut down so it's the first ever that opened up in mumbai so it's it's a it's a sad scene for live music of course mm. it's only gotten worse because of the pandemic um yeah i mean obviously the pandemic whole different story i got to say though i think it's some degree of ownership for us artists uh, and i include myself in it too at least to a certain degree it's probably also an order cuz at, at the time a lot of the options that were being offered to musicians in the scene that young were not utilized to an extent they could have been by artists primarily because a lot of the artists weren't really even educated enough to know how do i make the best out of this in a manner that's good for me my career a sustainable career but also the entire ecosystem oh yes some some of that ownership needs to be taken as well that's one of the reasons uh, you definitely came to my notice because i found you to be one of the first artists who had a very natural knack for striking that balance you know you were doing your own thing but you never neglected the audience you were always giving them a feeling but okay you're there you're doing your thing but you're you're really trying to connect to them and especially for me it was it was very inspiring because that's my weak spot you know i'm i've always tended to be the guy who just kind of goes on stage and uh, hides behind his music a little and it's something i've been working on for a while now but uh, and i think most of the artists who were present during that era would probably come more from my corner than yours that's probably something that needs to be talked about too. a lot of artists just never really gave it their best shot man i mean that's a fact a hard fact too mm. You don't agree? I think it's just uh I think every artist is uh, unique in the way uh, they express, right? They've got their own uh, expression, they've got their own style of uh, like just the stage presence for that matter. I mean, it's uh, I uh, sometimes feel like when I look at uh, a certain artist, maybe their, you know, stage presence and I'm like why don't i do this why am i not able to do something like this where i'm you know getting uh, really uh, interactive with the crowd and i just crack a few jokes and i think i mean I, there are lots of things that you you know sometimes watch someone and then you say uh, why don't i try something like this and maybe that's a bit, but i feel like whatever comes naturally to me on stage is what is me and as as long as that is authentic like if of course if there is 
if there's fear and we are not able to be who we are and the way we would be otherwise if it if we were our natural selves is something that every artist would need to overcome and they should but if uh, if i uh, would look at someone and say that oh, you know maybe i should try something like this i i think that's never going to be bought by people because that's not authentic and that's not something that's coming uh, to me naturally i don't know if i answered your question correctly i just felt like i needed to say this i don't know if it's related to what you were asking me no thank honestly. you thank you for saying Is that it? it clarifies a few points and i completely agree with you yeah no uh, it's not what i was referring to but i'm very glad you said that because i just mm-hmm. realized some of the stuff i said might have been interpreted that way and it uh, that's not what i meant i completely agree with you thanks for adding that mm-hmm. i was um, you're very right uh, there's that crap to people trying to be an entertainer even though they're not instead of just trying to be who they are just being themselves on stage and that's definitely not something i would recommend anyone to attempt thanks for clarifying that i, I was actually referring to some uh, artists just basically taking the opportunities they were given in a very new and fresh scene for granted mm yeah right it doesn't contradict what you said just to clarify right uh taking things for granted like opportunities uh, that are given to you taking those for granted yeah may i give you an example yes please yeah i i would do one tour and i'd get written about in time out in rolling stone getting access to press that big and that kind of stuff it lives on the internet you know and i was just like i was just fresh out of college um and i got written about in rolling stone just a guy who finished college okay maybe a little more uh, i did have a little bit of a career uh, an album on stuff and uh there were a lot of people uh who were who were having that a lot of artists many of whom don't even you know went on to completely different professions even later on mm-hmm. they were getting written about regularly in these really prestigious press releases it's the kind of opportunity which only exist in a scene that fresh and that new and i'm not referring to you i know you i mean i know you were a rolling stone cover artist even uh, and i completely celebrate that i'm not referring to you uh, needless to say but just to clarify but it was happening you know any any random indie gig was being written about in very prestigious international press releases which is the kind of thing you wouldn't you couldn't dream of in uh, in the west and artists a lot of people uh, just kind of took that for granted you know that okay i've made it now and uh, it obviously didn't really mm. work out to our advantage in the long run yeah i, I think uh, other than the artists is also uh, the editors or people who are actually reviewing this stuff and putting up articles and uh, good point just, um, you know it's it's always uh, I mean I think it's more of a job of them uh because an artist at the more uh, uh exposure they get the more they get written about and everything for them it's like reaching the top of the world as an artist so mm-hmm. and you're you're bound to feel that you have arrived you know because it's one of the most uh, prestigious uh magazines out there or you know the things that people actually would long for I mean for anyone to get on a rolling stone magazine cover would be like the biggest deal ever you know exactly and uh, right now uh, it's so easy yeah. right now 
and it's it's a it's a something that it's not even like a body of work that you've had for a while or mm. uh, the kind of experience and everything and then it's it's not based on that so it's a i think it's the editor's job to kind of look into uh, these things or whoever's kind of you know putting that story out it's it's both ways yeah i think it's both ways thanks thanks uh, you're very right should always keep there you're very right again thanks again that's the i missed that part you're very right thanks vasudha mm. completely forgotten about that angle too the responsibilities of the people actually putting that material out very true indeed can't believe i actually had never thought about that but you have this kind of constant birds eye view of things how do you do that me i get i go into <laughs> tunnel vision very quickly but how do you what were your secrets for maintaining that birds eye view i really i really don't know i think that's this just the way i'm wired yeah i i really don't have any explanation i just i that's the way i think <laughs> I, i don't really um have a certain like a proper explanation for that well here's to more of that and here's to more artists thinking that way and uh, living that way amen amen right Uh, I want to respect the time where I think we're past. Uh, let me just check. Oh yeah, we're close to two hours. I'm so sorry. Uh, I, I completely oh, yeah. got lost oh, in wow. my conversation. It was so interesting, and I, I keep uh, track of time. This is so. This was so much fun. I know, right? Yeah. It really has been a lot of fun. It's always a pleasure to catch up with you, and it's been ages since we've actually done that. But what's the where's the best way to find you mm-hmm. online and support your art? Um my music is up on all digital platforms but uh Spotify is something that I'm uh, also very active on and most of my music is on Spotify and iTunes so Excellent. and of course all the other uh, digital platforms but yeah all my originals are there so I would love for people to listen to my music Excellent there. we're going to have all links on the episode notes FYI for my audiences um It's been a pleasure, Vasudha. I always is uh, just at the risk of re- repeating myself. Um anything you'd like to add for our listeners, any message you want to put out there? Oh, I I mean, first is uh, firstly it's an absolute pleasure to, you know, chat with you and after so long, I think we've had some sort of conversations even before when we were collaborating, but this was like in depth and this was Uh, so much fun yeah i really enjoyed uh, this conversation Likewise. and um, other than that i just i just hope uh, we are in a better place tomorrow as uh, you know in 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 life in general with the way uh, this uh, uh, covid situation is happening even in india it's pretty bad right now we're still not able to control it and i feel like everything is uh, suffering i just hope we I mean whatever has to happen will happen I just hope we find new ways to express ourselves through our music be it more virtual I mean live gigs is something that it's far fetched right now at least for now but I I feel like uh, we are still able to collaborate more and make more music and you know bring out more uh, fresh uh, tunes into this world and I just hope we find out different ways to keep ourselves sane Amen to that. That sounds like a good note to taper off on. Thanks again for doing this. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Gratitude from the bottom of my heart for listening to the very end. Please consider taking a minute to subscribe to our show so you know when the next episode is out. This is a labor of love, one I hope snowballs into one that's sustainable in its attempt to support independent thought 
and authentic relating. And having you as a regular member of our audience is what makes that a realistic prospect. Much love, and talk soon. Just another voice out of